Welcome to church. If you're new and visiting, I'm, I'm Brendan. I'm part of the core team that helps Dave lead this church. And thank you so much for visiting. Um, where you might not be aware, in the middle of a, a series, we're doing a six-week, six-part series called Sanctifying the Ordinary, where we're looking at, well, not really ordinary things, but everyday parts of Christian life and seeing how the Bible speaks to them. And today, I have the real uh, privilege of bringing to you a message on prayer. Um, but before we start, I've got a confession to make. Um, I mean, lots of people can think, I'm sure, of in your mind prayer warriors, you know, people that you know that, you know they pray, and you know that they, they are quick on their hands and knees and quickly devoted to prayer, and I just want to say that's, that's not one of me, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a, a natural prayer warrior, I'm a person who, who for, for many years has struggled to pray, and, and found it difficult to pray, and have been asking the Lord to help me to pray, and I, I don't know where you come this morning, where you're at, whether you're a person who's uh, naturally a prayer or you're a person who finds it difficult to pray. But I think either way, uh, the Lord's really given me something to, to share from his word. Um, and it's from a passage of scripture that I think you'll probably be familiar with, a chapter of the book of Romans that we actually heard, I don't think by coincidence, read uh, just before in the service. But we're going to read from the start of Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, uh, can you open them to Romans chapter 8? I'm going to read from verse 1, and then we'll pray. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit... If the spirit of him 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Lord, I come before you this morning by grace and grace alone by the precious and complete work of your son, Jesus. Lord, we come before you this morning also in desperate need of help. We need your help this morning, Lord. We need your help this morning to hear your word and to understand it and to be changed by it, Lord. Lord, we ask, would you teach us to pray this morning, Lord? Would you send your spirit amongst us, cutting us to the heart that we might hear your word, be changed by it, Lord, and be a people that pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if anyone here has ever had really an amazing answer to prayer before. You know, a prayer that you've just... Maybe you've been praying and you've been on your hands and knees and praying and, and just God has just answered that prayer. You know, I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing for this message and I just cast my mind back to when I was living in Indonesia in a part of Indonesia called Aceh where we were really just trying to take the gospel out and we had all these issues with visas. Um, we were on these short-term visas and people were very reluctant to give us new visas, and it just seemed like this constant area where we were tested and we had to trust God. And I can remember uh, one time coming in to submit our papers for our visa into this immigration office, and there's this big, you know, mahogany desk, and there's this immigration official in a, like, a, like a uniform, and it's like smoky because everyone's a chain smoker, and, and, you know, through the haze, you see him sitting there, and we submit these papers, and he looks at them, and he starts laughing at us. He's laughing, saying, I know what you guys are on about. I know why you guys are here. There's no way we're going to re-give you visas again. So we gave him our papers and, and we left that place and we went back home and, 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 and we just prayed. We said, Lord, we're, we're here because we believe you want us here. We're here because we just got a heart to take the gospel out in this place. And Lord, it seems like they're not going to give us visas it seems like we're not going to be allowed to stay any longer, Lord. But if you want us here, just, just do something. Answer, answer us, Lord. Help us to stay if it's your will for us to stay. 
I can remember two days later getting a phone call from the immigration office saying, you need to come in. And I can remember walking through the same place, standing at the same desk before the same man, and he just pushes across the table and says, here are your papers. Your visas have been permitted. It's, it's like, what? Uh, how does this happen? How does this happen? It's because there's a sovereign God who loves to answer prayer. And I think sometimes we have answers to prayer, amazing answers to prayer, but we're quick to forget. We're quick to forget and to class prayer as something that's every day. And so just my, my hope today is really, there's just one hope. And, and that is that just look, God in his kindness might just, again, once again, help us to pray. That he might just give us a picture of himself that's big and we might just be encouraged to be a people that pray. And I've just got three main points. Uh, I'm going to spend most of the time on the first point. And the three main points are this. The nature of prayer. The point of prayer. And lastly, the struggle of prayer. Well, point one, the nature of prayer. Um, if you've got your Bibles, make sure they're open to Romans chapter 8. Before we start, I just thought I'd give you a bit of context to Romans and, and what's going on, what's Paul doing. Uh, Romans is his letter to church in Rome. And basically, the book of Romans is Paul's outline of his gospel. Paul outlines a section of his gospel, and then he deals with some objections, some Jewish objections that he thinks will come. And then he outlines some more of his gospel and then he deals with some more objections, outlines some more gospel in this alternating fashion. And in chapter 6, we've seen how Jesus, through his cross, through being united to Jesus, we're moved from death in our sins through life. In chapter 7, then, he deals with, well, if death for life because of the cross and union with Jesus, does that mean, mean we live a perfect life? And chapter 7 is, no, no, we still have to deal with our flesh. Now, chapter 8... He's talking about another aspect of his gospel, of the gospel, which is the work of the Spirit. Chapter 8 is just all about the work of the Spirit. So if you've got your Bibles, let's start reading from chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no guilty verdict, nothing because of the work of Jesus. Read on verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life. It's like an introduction to what Paul's going to talk about. There's this law of the spirit of life that's different from the law of sin and death. Obedience to the law of Moses, which leads to sin and death. The law of the spirit of life. Verse 3. Let's keep reading. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God has done what the law could not do. God has done what the law could not do. God has sent his son in the image of sin. In, in the image of sin, it says in, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel that that we, in our transgressions and sins, hated God, turned from God, but God in His kindness pursued us, sending His Son to be sin for us, to die on that cross, 
that we may be right with him simply through faith in him. And the result is, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, in order that everything that was required by the law might be fulfilled because of Jesus. You know, I was uh, watching just last week this uh, this documentary called On Death Row. It's by a, a German documentary maker called Werner Herzog. And he interviews these serial killers on death row. And he was interviewing this guy called James Barnes. Now, I don't know if you've, know, if you've heard of James Barnes. He's killed at least 12 people and horrific crimes. And he sits in death row facing death by lethal injection. And Werner asks him, he says, James, have you ever thought about asking for the forgiveness of your victims and their families. And he says, it's too late for that. I can never take back what I've done. There's no point. Yes, James, it's too late to take back what you've done. But no, James, there is a point in asking for forgiveness because there is a God who's fulfilled the just requirements of the law in the person of Jesus Christ and offers mercy and forgiveness. But is it for everyone? Let's read on. Verse 4b. That the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. In who? those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So there's these flesh walkers and there's these spirit walkers, flesh and spirit. Where have we heard this before? It's John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Jesus meets with Nicodemus and Nicodemus says to Jesus, he says, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus says to him, he says, look, every man is just born of the flesh. He's just born into the world. He's born to face death. But you need something completely new to happen to you. You need a complete change. You need something that's impossible for you to do by yourself. You need to be born of the Spirit and water. You need to be born again, Nicodemus. You need to have a complete change in you. You need the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in your hearts. You need new birth. And that's what Paul is talking about here. This is about new birth. Well, what does it mean to be born of the flesh? Read verse 6 with me. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. To be born of the flesh is to have a mind that is Set on the flesh is to be facing death, is to be against God, is to be enemies with God, is to ultimately be facing your judgment and destruction. But read on with me, verse 9. For you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if you're a Christian, Paul says, this flesh walking, this is not you. This is not you. If you're a Christian, 
You have the Spirit of Christ in you. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. This is, this is union with Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you say, Lord, be my, be my Savior, be my King, I trust in you for my salvation, His Spirit comes and dwells in you, comes and lives inside your heart. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, don't you know, don't you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells in you? So Paul can say in, in verse 11, if the Spirit of Him, I love this, if, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from dead, the same spirit who rose Jesus up from the grave, dwells in you. Not not sometimes dwells in you and sometimes not. No, he dwells in you full stop. Union with Christ, he dwells in you. Permanently dwells in you. There is no unbirth. There is no third birth. New birth is permanent. A permanent change through faith in Christ. And, and I think we so quickly move over, over this. We say, yeah, I'm born again, but we, we, we don't stop to pause and think about what this means. That, that the same spirit that rose a, a dead Christ up from the grave permanently dwells in you. Massive. Well, you might be thinking, well, Brendan, I thought this was a message on prayer. Well, what on earth has this got to do with prayer? It's got everything to do with prayer. Absolutely everything. Because if you are united to Christ, the Lord always hears your prayers. Let me say that again. If you are united to Christ, the Lord always, He always hears your prayers. I just wanted to, to pause here and just, just to address some of the implications of this, of union with Christ for us in our prayers and deal with some common misconceptions that I hear. The first, I think, implication of this is that if you're a Christian, if you've put your trust in faith in Christ, your lack of faith, it never stops God answering your prayers. If you're a Christian, your lack of faith, it never stops Him answering your prayers. I mean, think with me. I think sometimes... Well, think, think, of, think of some people that you know are really great prayer warriors. People that just, when they pray everyone's listening. I'm thinking John Piper, when that guy prays, it's like his whole body's in it, he's shaking, he's calling on Jesus, he's preaching the gospel, powerful prayers. I think closer to home, I think my brother Coyote here, I, if you know Coyote, he is a faithful man of prayer. He is a godly man and he is quick to go on his hands and knees. Coyote's a prayer warrior. And when you hear him pray, it's just, I don't know, you just something you just feel stirred in your spirit and it's just like, Oh yes Lord, yes Lord, yes. Agreeing with this brother in prayer or with John Piper in prayer. But have you ever stopped and been tempted to think, when that person's praying, just 
God must really be listening. But when I pray, well, he's, he's probably not so bothered. Are you ever tempted to think that way? I know I sometimes can. Well, I just want to say that that is unbiblical and that's wrong. That's false. Because of union with Christ, because His Spirit dwells in you, when you pray, the Lord hears. Regardless of your faith. Because if you're a Christian, by definition, you have faith because you put your faith in Jesus. You know, sometimes I, I hear people say this idea that, you know, if I, if I pray and I just really, really believe that God will do what I say, then he will. And it's because I haven't believed it enough that he hasn't done what I asked. But Jesus himself says, he says, look, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to that mulberry tree, be uprooted and cast into the sea and it will obey you. Why? Because of your great faith. No, because of the object of your faith, because a mighty God who's powerful and able to do all things and sustains the universe. That's why. We need to ask sometimes, I think, like Mark chapter 9, where Jesus asks a man whose son is ill, you do believe? And he says, Lord, I believe. Just help me in my unbelief. You know, sometimes I hear uh, another common passage is, is Mark chapter 6 people use where, where it says Jesus in his hometown and he could not perform any miracles because of their lack of faith. And some people read that passage and they say, well, there, don't you see it? Because the people didn't believe enough in Jesus, therefore, therefore he couldn't do miracles, so maybe it's because of my lack of faith that Jesus is not answering me. No, that is taking that passage way out of context. Those people in that village didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the King. They'd rejected Him. They said, we know you, we know your parents, we don't want a bar of you. And friend, if you're trusting in Jesus, that is not you. You know, If you're a Christian, your lack of faith, it never stops God from answering your prayers. The second thing, if you're a Christian, your sin never stops God answering your prayers. Sin, I think, rather stops us from coming to God in prayer, but it never stops God from answering your prayers. I'm not saying there's no need for repentance. I'm not saying that we don't need to ask God for forgiveness of our sins. I think that's what Christians do. You live a life of repentance, asking God for forgiveness. But because of union with Christ, you are joined to Him permanently. He always hears your prayers. I think sin, I think it, I think it hardens our hearts and I think it makes us less inclined to pray but it does not affect the willingness of God to hear and to answer. Uh, think with me. Say I'm just caught in selfishness. I'm just um, unrepentant sin of just being selfish and thinking of myself, loving myself more than other people. I tell you, if, if that's the case for me, it's going to be very hard for me to come to the Lord in prayer and ask for a revival. Why? Because my eyes are on myself. I'm in love with myself. So I wouldn't even think to ask God to, to pray for, for my friends and family who, who don't know the Lord to cry out to Him to intervene. You see, sin stops me from coming to God. It doesn't stop Him from hearing. Conflict. Uh, another passage I, I hear of all the time, people use, is, is 1 Peter 3.7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way 
showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I hear people use this verse and they say, look, see, see, if I sin against my wife, God's not going to hear my prayers. If I've got some sin that I don't know about existing there, if I'm not treating her with respect and honoring her, then, then God's going to not hear my prayers. But that's not what this is talking about. You know, Peter assumes that husbands and wives are praying together. And Peter's saying, look, if you dishonor your wife, if you don't treat her with respect, your prayer's going to be hindered because you're not going to pray. Sin and too little faith do not stop our prayers from being answered. I think failing to pray is our biggest issue. Well, we're not just united. Read on with me. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Did you catch that? If you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are a a son of God. All, everyone. You're adopted. You're a child. God is your father. God is your dad. And I know when I say that here in this church, that for some people here, that is very hard to hear. Because I know for a fact that there's people in this church that have been abused by your fathers. There's people here that have been sexually abused, verbally abused, physically abused. And so when you hear God is your father, that is, that is really hard to hear. But I just want you to just, just imagine with me the father that you wish you had. The father that you just wished you had. And what do I mean by this? I mean, just like, like a John Bush. You know, if you come up to John Bush and you say to him, tell me about Amelie, that guy's face just like lights up and he's passionate, he's excited. He'll just like, oh, guys, you know, uh, this, oh, as you, what she's doing the other day. Well, why is that? Because John loves Emily, his daughter. He loves her so much. That's the, that's, that's the kind of father I'm talking about. Or like, uh, I've been working with Fiona at St. Vincent's Hospital and one of the orthopedic surgeons was in at the clinic the other day because um, his daughter had, had, well, they'd been holidaying in Harvey Bay, which is about 300 kilometres north of Brisbane, and uh, his daughter had fallen off her scooter and banged her head and broken her ankle. And he... He walked over and because he's an orthopedic surgeon, he looks at her ankle and he immediately knows that it's broken. So he scoops up his daughter and he takes her home and he gives her painkillers and puts her to bed. And the next day when they get up, she's got dizziness and she's got vomiting and she's not with it. And he, because he's a surgeon, immediately recognises that those are the signs of a serious head injury. So he picks up his daughter again and he puts her in the car and he drives the 300 kilometres to Brisbane in under two hours. Now, say what you will about driving at 150 kilometres per hour, but that is a picture of a man who loves his daughter and is willing to go to any length to see her healed. And that is a picture of God's love for you. He is just committed to you. He loves you. He loves you so much he sent his son for you. That is the kind of father that that God is to us. He's a loving Father. Well, read with me verse 15. 
He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit, it's like an adopting spirit because when it sits inside your heart, you're adopted, you're a child of God and we cry, Abba, Father, out to God. Where have you heard that cry before? Mark chapter 14, verse 36. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he cry? He says, Abba, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. You know, because the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that was in Christ, permanently dwells in your heart. When you pray, you pray just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to a God, a Father that loves you. Well, because of union with Christ, the Spirit always dwells in us and we are always able to come before the throne of God, our loving Father. What is the nature of prayer? By the Spirit of Christ, we come as a child to the Father in prayer. First point, second point, the point of prayer. I mean, have you ever wondered, like, what's the point of praying? If there's a sovereign God, there's a God who oversees everything and everything is in his control. He says, you know, I've got good gifts, good deeds planned already for you that you might walk in them. Or what's the point of praying? Like, why do we bother praying? Well, to answer this, um, I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. And I'm going to read a couple of little passages that I think really address this issue. Revelation chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 6. Revelation 5, 6. It says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now turn over the page with me to chapter 8, verse 1. When the lamb opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the right hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. See that beautiful picture. It's the throne room of God in heaven. And there's the elders of the tribes all around. There's a multitude beyond what you can count or imagine. There's someone like a lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ, our King. And there's God seated on his throne. And, 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 the, the, the helpers, the kings, they have these, the angels, they have these bowls, golden bowls full of 
prayers of the saints from all around the world. All around the world, prayers. And they're filled right to the top. And when they get reached the top, they're, they're, they're set before the Lord as like an incense offering. And the fumes go up and judgment comes on the earth and his kingdom comes. That's the picture. I mean, have you ever stopped and wondered, like, why does Jesus ask us to pray and say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Why does he ask us to pray that? It's because a sovereign God chooses to use prayer as a primary means of his working in the world. A sovereign God chooses to use prayer as a primary means of his work in the world. He chooses to listen to prayers and he chooses to answer prayers. Why? For his glory. You know, I've heard it said that, that prayer is more about God changing you than it is about God answering your prayers. I just want to say that's false. That's not true. When we pray, God does definitely change us. He, he changes your heart and he teaches you to trust him more. That's definitely true. But a sovereign God has chosen to use prayer for his work in the world. Don Carson puts it this way. He says, The Bible simultaneously pictures God as utterly sovereign and as a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. Unless we perceive this and learn how to act on these simultaneous truths, not only will our views of God be distorted, but our praying is likely to wobble back and forth between a resigned fatalism that asks for nothing and a badgering desperation that exhibits little real trust. Both things are true. We have a sovereign God who's sovereign over all things and who we can trust. But we also have a sovereign God who asks us to pray and uses and answers our prayers. Secondly, I think Jesus teaches us to pray. I mean, Jesus was known as a man of prayer. And so many times in the Gospels, you hear Jesus, he just leaves his disciples and goes to some quiet place to pray. I mean, he was in the day in the wilderness for 40 days and nights praying and fasting before he was tempted by the devil. Jesus is a man of prayer and he teaches on prayer. In Luke 18, 1, Luke says, he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. You know, Jesus was such a man of prayer that his disciples come to him and they ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus was a man of prayer. But, but more than that, not only Jesus was a man of prayer, but his disciples and the early church were a praying church. The early church was devoted to prayer. If you read Acts 1.14, it says, they all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42, the early church were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 6.4, the apostles said they would devote themselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word. Romans 12.12, rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, be devoted to prayer. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the spirit with all perseverance. The early church was full of praying people. But I think thirdly, and even more than that, it's because we have a, a longing father that loves to answer prayers. You know, um, I was thinking this week back to a time when I went on a, a big trip with, with my dad. And it's one of the handful of times I got to spend a, like a day with my dad, so it's precious I remember it. And um, I'd been struggling with like getting dizziness all the time and and um, the doctors didn't really know why that was the cause. A pediatrician down in Wollongong had said that I was just making it up, that there wasn't anything wrong with me. 
And um, so we're going on this trip to Royal Prince Alfred Hospital to have further tests done. And I'm with my dad, and I'm anxious, really anxious. I was like maybe, you know, eight or nine, um, because I'm thinking, if we have more tests done, I'm just going to get told that it's just all made up. Maybe it is all just made up. Um, and I was really, really worried. And so I just chatting to my dad as we're on the train, just saying, is it, what's going to happen? Are we going to be all right? My dad's just saying, yeah, it's, everything's going to be fine. I'm with you. Um, we're walking down Missenden Road on the way to the hospital, and he's just holding my hand saying, it's fine, it's no problem. Oh, there's Mr. Whippy, can we have ice cream? Yeah, if you're on your best behavior, you can. <laughs> I'm just talking to my dad. Um, it's just a picture of just my dad who loves me, just with me. But imagine if we were together and I'm anxious and I just never talked to him. I just you know, kept quiet and didn't say anything. I mean, wouldn't that be weird? Wouldn't that be strange? And yet this is what we do. We have a father that loves us and we just, we, just, we just fail to talk to him. But even more than this, I think, I think sometimes we convince ourselves that we are more interested in answering our prayers than God is. I mean, have you ever had just like a friend that, that you, just, you love so much, right, and they're not a Christian and so you're praying for them. You're praying for them every day. You're praying that, that, that God would just like, lead them to repentance and that they would come to trust in Jesus for opportunities and nothing happens. You know, this, this friend doesn't repent. This friend just continues on as they are and, and you begin to convince yourself that actually you want them to be, come to know Christ more than he does, that somehow you're more loving towards your friend, you're more just. And if only God knew, then he would act differently. Do you ever think that way? I know sometimes I'm guilty of this. And, and, and we sort of begin to believe that we want to answer it more. And I've got this quote up, which I'll get up on the screen, which is from Charles Haddon Spurgeon on this exact same issue. And Spurgeon says this. He says, We must not think that the Lord has set a barrier in the way of our efforts, but we must be encouraged to feel that if we love the souls of men, the Lord must love them more. And that if we would do anything and everything in our power to secure their salvation, we may depend upon it that the Lord is not slack in grace. Get rid of the unbelieving and dishonoring notion that Jesus is unwilling to forgive and at once throw yourself in his arms. He thirsts the blessed man. It is his meat and his drink in this respect to do the will of him that sent him. You are being drawn by his loving hands and those warm desires for salvation are created in you by his Holy Spirit. Believe this and recognize the bond which unites you to the Lord by faith. That bond will become consciously stronger from day to day. Trust wholly in Jesus and the work is done. There is a loving Father who stands wanting to answer our prayers. And sometimes, I, I said it before, I just think sometimes we're so quick to forget this, to forget that he, just, he earnestly wants to answer our prayers. I mean, I remember just thinking about this week that all these answers to prayers that I've forgotten about, one that comes to mind, my friend Billy McPaul, a good friend of mine, uh, just after he finished the HSC, um, he was a bit into extreme sports, and so he's riding on his longboard, carving down the hill, this big hill in Wollongong, and my mates are in the car doing 60 with a video camera right behind him. And suddenly Billy gets the death wobbles, falls off his board, smacks his head on the concrete, lands head first, and he's just like a lifeless ragdoll. And the ambulance comes, and the ambulance calls the helicopter, and the helicopter airlifts him to Royal Moshaw Hospital. 
And the doctors at the hospital said, if he doesn't die, he will have serious, irreparable brain damage. But the thing was, is that Billy's mum was one of those prayer warriors. And so she just told everyone to pray. You know, we're praying, all our friends are praying, our small groups are praying, the church is praying, everyone that she meets on the street, I'm sure, is praying. Everyone's praying. We're all just praying. We're saying, Lord, just heal this guy. Lord, heal, have mercy on Billy. And Billy made nearly a full recovery. Nearly a complete recovery. The doctors were amazed. They didn't know how it happened. I'll tell you how it happened. It's because there is an almighty God who loves to answer prayer. Another example, I mean, just, just two days ago, I got a, a phone call from my sister and, she, and she's just absolutely in tears. And I was like, what, what's wrong, Mel? What's happened? Has there been a crisis? And she says, you know, at work, I've just got in all this trouble because I won't lie to customers and tell them what management wants them to hear. And so my manager sat down with me and so sort of said, you know, this is what we do here. You need to kind of get over your, you know, little Christian values and you need to, you know, tell them what we want you to say to them. And Mel's like, you know, I feel like I'm letting the team down because everyone's getting in trouble because I'm being honest with the customers. The customer's not very happy about the honest answer, about why they're not getting helped and, and I don't know what to do. And so I shared with her a passage of scripture and we just prayed. We just said, Lord, would you guide her steps? Would you provide opportunities? Would you make it clear what you want her to do? 45 minutes later, it's like after office hours, she gets a phone call from the Department of Education and Training saying, uh, we've got your name uh, on a roll for application for this job. We don't know how it got here, but would you like to come in for an interview sometime next week? Amazing answer to prayer. How did that happen? 45 minutes after praying that the Lord would just guide her steps. It's because there's a sovereign, almighty God that loves to answer prayers. Why pray? What's the point of prayer? We'll pray because we have a loving, sovereign Father who delights to answer our prayers. Last point, point three, the struggle of prayer. And the question I just want to ask in closing is, why do I find it so hard to pray? Why do I struggle so much to pray? I mean, honestly, I find it hard. It's like everything in me is fighting against it. Why is this the case? I think there's a few reasons. I think firstly because of indwelling sin. I think it's like a child having a temper tantrum sometimes. It's like, and his dad's like, come on, tell me what's wrong, son. What's the problem? And the child's like, he's not talking to his father, you know, because it's it's the sin. It's like like such a picture of us. Like when we're in sin, you know, our father's there. He's like, talk to me. Talk to me, my child. I love you. Talk to me. And yet, and we, we we just refuse to listen to him because of sin. I think... It's our flesh. I think tiredness and poor concentration and busyness. I think, I think sometimes it's our lack of faith. We forget all these answers to prayers or we, we think our problems are too small or sometimes we think our problems are too big to bring to, to God or, or, or sometimes we, we just completely forget to ask Him. But fourthly, and I think something that I've been really convicted in is I think we forget, we fail to pray because we've forgotten our first love. You know, I think... Prayer is, is really, in many ways, it's an expression of love. It's an expression of love for God and love for our neighbor that we pray. And I think sometimes we just make our faith complicated, don't we? And I just 
have felt convicted of this. We, we let other loves take the place of Jesus in our lives. Love for our job or love for the clothes that we wear or love for career or love of a relationship or love of everything but Jesus. I don't know where this finds you this morning, um, where you're at, but I have a sense that maybe there's some people here that, that just in this moment, you're just aware that the love that you once had for Christ, is, it's just grown dim. It's not what it used to be. And, and, and you're longing for the day when you used to be able to cry like the psalmist in Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And you hear that verse and you say, my heart has fallen out of love with Jesus. I just want to say that, you know, if you struggle, you realize that the cause of your prayerlessness is lack of love, then there's hope for you. Because there is a sovereign God that loves to answer prayers. You know, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus has been teaching on prayer. He's been teaching his disciples to pray. And when he tells them a story about a man who has his neighbor come and visit him in the middle of night asking for bread. And he says, you know what? This man's going to get up and he's going to give him what he asks. You know, not, not because he's a nice guy, because he's embarrassed not to say yes. And he goes on to tell another story. He says, look... Which of you fathers, if your, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, will give him a scorpion? How much more, though you are wicked, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who love him, to those who ask of it from him? And just a few chapters later in the second half of Luke's gospel in the book of Acts, you know, Peter's been freed from prison miraculously by the Lord and all the disciples are together and they ask the Lord to give them boldness to keep preaching the gospel. And the Holy Spirit comes and shakes that place and they're filled with the Spirit and answer to that promise. You know, we're no different from those guys. Same Spirit, same union, same Christ who indwells. There is a God, a loving Father who earnestly desires to answer our prayers. You know... I can just speak on behalf of all the other guys on the team and just say, you know, when we were away on our retreat just the other day, our heart is that this church might be a church that prays, might be a church that just really depends on God. We're a growing church. Praise the Lord for that. We're a growing church. But it's easy, I think, just to make these plans according to how we grow, but to forget that this church belongs to Jesus. He's the one who's leading this church. He's the one who's sovereignly in control of this church. And, and, and we just don't want to be plodding along, you know, according to the maths and, and, and what we figure, where we figure we'll be at. Those things are important, but we want Jesus to be steering this ship. We want Jesus to be in control. We want to step out in faith and trust what the Lord might do amongst us. And we need to ask. You know, James, in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, You have not because you ask not. And far be it that we would be a church that doesn't have because we don't ask a loving God who wants to answer and use our prayers. And we need to ask that God will give us a throne room vision, that we would see Jesus seated on the throne, ready to answer our prayers. We need to ask God that he would just increase our love for Jesus because we can't do it by ourselves. We need to ask God that he would get us on our hands and knees and teach us to pray. Well, in closing, what's the nature of prayer? by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we come as a child to a Father who loves us.
What's the point of prayer? We're asking a loving, sovereign Father who loves to answer. And what's the struggle or the answer to the struggle of prayer? It's overcome by asking the Father to help us. Why don't you join with me in praying and asking that, that God might just help us and teach us to pray. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that you have loved us with an everlasting, eternal love. Thank you, Lord, that, that despite our sins, you, you came after us with your gospel. You sent your spirit to change us, to, to grow us in a love for Christ, that we might put our trust in him and receive this gift that he bought for us at such a price. Thank you, Father. Thank you that it is a permanent change, that we are temples of your spirit. Your spirit dwells in us, Lord. It will never leave us, Lord. So when we pray, we pray directly before the throne of the mighty God. Oh, Lord, we just ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We haven't prayed as we ought. We've forgotten about who you are, about your kindness, your goodness, your willingness to answer, Lord. Oh, Lord, we're so sorry for this, Lord. Lord, would you... In this moment, in this time, Lord, would you send your spirit amongst us? Would you send your spirit to reignite old hardened hearts for Christ? Would you fan our hearts into flame for your gospel for Jesus? And out of the overflow of our heart, might we lift up praises to your name. May we lift up songs to your name. May we be a people that are quick to fall on our hands and knees in prayer. And may your name be lifted up in this church and may your name be lifted up in this community and may your name be lifted up in this nation and we pray this in Jesus' name.